Welcome to the show, Friday 12th of May, the weekend is approaching us and today we've got a special guest coming on board, Sam Berridge, uh, he runs a couple of resource funds at Perennial, he's had 11 years there, background is a GO, we've got him on the line and we're going to get into everything macro, micro and mining company specific. Sam, welcome to Money of Mine, Cobber, how are you mate? Very well, thanks Matt, pleasure to be on, uh, on board this morning, looking forward to a good chat. Hey, we just as we stalked your LinkedIn for that brief CV that we've given, mate. Let's. How about we start on the macro? We're going to get it, get in, get in everything today. It's going to be a great chat, mate. The macro, the rates. Are you sitting in the camp of uh, higher for longer? Is this uh, really dictating your investment thesis at the moment with what these interest rates are doing? Oh, I think that the interest rates are dictating the, the broader share market for sure, and and you know mining's a part of that, so it's it's going to be knocked around a bit by by the broader market. Um, in terms of rates, I reckon we're pretty much just near the top. I'd be surprised if um if the RBA rise, uh, raises rates any further. Um, I think there's some real cracks starting to show up. Um, in the prop in both the residential property and also commercial property. Um, over on the over on the east coast specifically, over in the in the US, which you know makes financial markets go you know the world go round. Um, I reckon they're pretty close to done as well. Uh, you know, we the, the the speed at which rates have been increased uh, this cycle is absolutely unprecedented, and you know it's going to take some time just to to assess the implications of that. I think the central banks around the world are aware of that. Um, infl- infl- uh, inflation, you know, is coming down. You know, whether it's coming down fast enough for for, for people's preferences and all that's uh, sub- open to debate. But broadly speaking, um, I reckon we're pretty much we're pretty much there. So now we just have, got, to, got to have a look at um, you know whether or not uh, the US you know sends itself into a recession to in 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 the aim of reducing inflation. Uh, we'll work that out as we proceed through the second half of the calendar year. Um, but once we have an answer to that, and we sort of have a bit of a bottom in in US um, GDP growth, then you know that's going to be the the bottom from which um, I think this market goes on a hopefully a more sustained rally rather than chopping around at the moment. And the usual disclaimer to all the listeners: this is only uh, general advice. Please, please don't use the uh, Sam said as your basis for investment. So usual disclaimer. Now, Sam, what about commodities, mate? Uh, the this inflation environment, how's it going to impact commodities or it's already impacting? Uh, I think we've sort of, I mean, in the short term, um, you know, those Western world sort of, you know, US and, and Europe demand concerns are probably a bit of a factor. Uh, we had some weak loan data out from China last night and that, um, you know, that knocked down copper, oil, aluminium, um, a couple of a couple of percent each. Um, so I suppose that's... Um, you know that that's sort of one of the big big thematics within commodities at the moment is, you know, to what extent is Chinese um, demand going to offset um, the weakness in in the Western world? Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, whilst that China the Chinese recovery is is probably a little bit slower than people hoped, um, it still is you know these uh, it still is up quite strongly year on year. Uh, but you know, we 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 sort of wander we'll wander along along that path over the next couple of months. Um, to your question though on, on commodities specifically, 
at the moment, um, new starts in China have been quite soft. So, you know, when you're starting to build an apartment, that's where your steel um, gets used and your concrete. Um, and that's you know, probably why, I think, or a big part of the reason why um, the iron ore prices started to roll over a little bit over the last three weeks. Property completions, on the other hand, are, um, you know, are reasonably firm. Like there was a big inventory of the sort of half-finished apartments and buildings in China at the end of last year. Um, slowly but surely, those apartments are being finished off, and that's where you know, demand for, for copper and, um, and mineral sands that goes into the, the tiling and and um, and you know obviously you know a bit of electrical demand too, which is good for copper for the air conditioners and whatnot. That's where you know that demand is still looking um, looking pretty re- pretty reasonable. So you know I think that's where we are at the moment. Um, I suppose lithium people want to we want to definitely want to talk about a bit. I mean it seems as though you know the near term bottom is in for lithium. Um, you know with a price that you know drops circa sixty percent from its highs. Um, the the sort of the top end of the cost curve there, which is the uh, um, you know predominantly the lipid, lipid uh, sorry lipidite uh, producers out of China, along with um, some refiners that don't have um, internal spodumene supply, those guys started losing money and curtailing production, and that provided a little bit of uh, support there. So that's sort of the, the the foundation I think from the bounce that we're seeing in lithium prices and also lithium equities. Uh, at the moment, Sam, we've um, we've we've heard you sort of speak a little bit about uh, the role of a professional investor is to sort of spot inefficiencies in the market, and um, I was chatting about this with JD earlier. For, you know, for the, for our entire uh, career in finance, it basically felt like those inefficiencies didn't revert in the way that a rational investor would would expect. Um, do you, do you think that phenomenon is changing now? Uh, at the small end, I. Don't think so. So I mean, efficiency, so inefficiencies in the market um, can last for you know, is, is for 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 you know up to six months, um, or sometimes they can be sort of uh, priced out within a week. I mean, and then the the higher you go up the market cap and liquidity spectrum, you know, the more and more efficient the market becomes. So if you're looking for inefficiencies in the market, then you're down at the micro end. Um, I I don't know if things are becoming more efficient at the sort of small to micro cap end of the market. Um, certainly, or definitely up until recently, the number of um, sell side analysts, so you know all the all the stockbrokers, um, covering the micro cap end of the market was um, was reducing. And so that means less research written. Uh, it means that you know numbers or consensus numbers end up being um, updated less often. And so that lends itself to the market being uh, more inefficient um, than anything. In the resources space specifically, it's probably um, you know improving just a little bit, being that there's so much money being raised out of the resources sector, so therefore more research gets written on it. But you know, there's so many companies out there that um, you know, analyst coverage at the small and micro cap end is still very thin. So that lends itself to um, you know to those inefficiencies um, you know lasting for you know still lasting for a reasonable period of time. So you, you, your your argument is that um, the more broker research, the less inefficiencies. I thought I thought broker research was always conflicted. 
Uh, there we go, sir. <laughs> oh, at the at the small end of the market, that's that's probably fair. Uh, but once you know, once you get up to the bigger end of the market, um, I mean, I you know, I, I think the um the the research is pretty good, and um, I mean, and particularly at the at the larger end. I mean, I you know, I used to work for a, for a bulge bracket broker back in the day, and I, I was sitting there as a as a mining analyst, um, writing my research, like you know, the Chinese walls and stuff within those you know the larger bulge bracket banks are legitimate um, particularly in the wake of the GFC like the biggest department um, or the fastest growing department with any large investment bank has been compliance so you know they um, I think those those Chinese wars are legit you know maybe down to the smaller micro end of the market you know possibly not so much. Sam, I'm interested to get your take on M&A. So it seems to be pretty hot at the moment. And without getting into any company-specific type of deals, where do you think we are in the in the cycle in commodity M&A? I think we're probably still at the beginning of it. Um, I mean, some some one thematic that is very important, and, and I think driving a lot of M&A, is the shortage of of staff and um, and qual- and decent teams for developing new assets. I mean, this is an anecdote that's been thrown up at the the Sesco Copper Conference over in in Chile recently. It's a, it's an anecdote which is repeated on conference calls um, throughout the year. Is that Greenfield's development teams um, are very hard to come by at the moment. So that means buying existing assets becomes more and more appealing than building new ones particularly not just for the asset itself, but also the expertise and the, and the staff that come with it. So I think that's a, that's a reasonable part of the driver of M&A. And that thematic of a, of a skills shortage is not going to be resolved anytime soon. So, you know, on that basis, um, you know, particularly as we're going through this period of, you know, slightly soggy Western world demand, I think M&A is going to continue. Because the company is embarking on that M&A, they're not, you know, they're not looking at sort of, you know, November, December this year. They're looking at 24, 25, 26 at, you know, at these uh, deficits in, you know, various commodities, you know, almost into perpetuity. You know, that's what they're looking at. And so I think um, we've got a while to run yet um, in this, uh, you know, period of consolidation the industry is going through. So we want to get more into your investment style now, Sam, and we recently interviewed- All your secrets, Sam. You're trying to get all the secrets off him. So we <laughs> we recently interviewed this guy out of Canada, Warren Irwin, who runs a Rossell Asset Management yeah. over there. And his style is really picking projects at an early stage and then trying to see them through to being bought out by a major. And just interested to hear how your style sort of contrasts with this style. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so- we well, it sounds like we probably come um, come in a little bit later in the stage than Warren. So um, we don't take uh, greenfield development risk um, as, as a rule. I mean, I was a, a geologist for six years. I've drilled plenty of targets myself, and I know even the best looking, you know, greenfield's target is probably at best a fifty fifty, which is you know not really good enough for us. Our um, our sweet spot in investing is um, companies which have a either producing or near-term producing asset that has a, a, a tangible value which you can calculate via your know, MPV or whatever whatever um, you know, valuation methodology you want to apply to it. Um, and that sort of anchors um, our view on valuation. And then um, if we, uh, you know, you might have an asset which has some pretty compelling expiration upside for whatever reason. 
But if you can have sort of a free option on that, so get exposure to the core asset at a reasonable value, with then and then um, being out having exposure to that free option on growth or expiration upside, then um, you know that's sort of uh, where we uh, where we like to play. And and obviously going over the top of that is is the commodity that that particular company might be exposed to. You know, I reckon that's probably seventy percent of the challenge in, in mining investing. You got to get the um, the commodity call right because it's pretty tough for a um, for any mining company to um, you know to put on gains um, if the commodity they produce is going backwards. Have you had any uh, examples of getting the commodity call right but the company wrong? Uh, yeah, yeah, plenty. I think there's um, you know there's a, there's been a few around. I mean, uh, what would be an example? Oh, if we go back in the day, I mean, you know, Dacian was one that we, I mean, we we missed the the the, the first fall, but um, you know, the recovery of that of that gold stock was um, was was a bit challenged, um, you know, and there was some sort of funny goings on there at the board level for for a while, but you know, ultimately, um, you know, gold was uh, you know going up for a period there where um, unfortunately, you know, Dacian through some um, underperformance of of its operations. Was lagging, but um, you know, thankfully, uh, Genesis came to the party there and, and took that company over, and um, uh, and so you know, those assets within a within a big bigger vehicle will uh, live to fight another day. So, with with that thesis, Sam, you said you know, getting into developers with that near term asset, it's uh, has it been probably more unfavourable in more recent times due to all the capex blowouts high costs, labour shortages and everything? Has that sort of, I guess, been a difficulty for funds with that strategy? Yeah, it is um, it, it is a real challenge. And I, I, w- I wouldn't be alone, you know, in saying that, uh, you know, taking on, um, you know, large capex risk sort of at the, at the beginning of a, of a new mine being built since, you know, shivers up my spine. I'm sure, you know, a, a bunch of my peers would say the, um, would say the same thing. Also, it really is tough from a from a mining company point of view. Like when you go into a um, into the uh, construction phase, you know you've raised a um, you know you raised a huge amount of money to go and build the mine. You, you don't want to raise any more than what you have to because um, that dilutes you know dilutes the share price too much. So you're not really usually they're they're not spending much on on exploration or other bits and pieces to um, you know further value add through that construction process and, and then you've got those ongoing risks and concerns of, of capex or, or sorry construction delays or, or cost blowout so it is really tough for um for you know for um, mining companies that don't have any other producing assets to get through that that period because um, often the share price you know through that period stays you know flattish I suppose unless the unless the commodity price is absolutely ripping um, and so, you know, to convince investors to to go in and, and and chip in the, you know, couple a couple of hundred million dollars that it takes to build most of these mines is a um is a tough bridge to get across. But um, you know, that's the that's the moat around uh, around you know supp- uh, new supply, and um, the less you know the more the, the more challenging it is to bring on new supply. Hopefully, the you know markets tight, or the commodity markets tighten up. Prices go higher, and and then that's you know that hopefully um, convinces more uh, more investors to support the development of these projects. Because if we look at I guess recent times, all the ramp up capex blowouts between God Red Five, Gallatus, Pantoro, uh, Galena. I guess what do you see as the biggest risk for the when you're looking at a investment decision 
if you're comparing uh, the CapEx, ramp up issues, I guess, which are your biggest flags? Oh, it's, I mean, watching the, the cash flow, um, you know, through the construction process, you know, like a hawk can be, can be instructive, but um, I suppose um, usually that that's backward looking. So you're not going to, you know, it's going to be tough to, to assess that there's going to be a cash flow shortfall from, from looking at that. Um, any delays in, um, against, you know, previous guidance, um, of construction are are important because you know the longer something takes, um, the more it's going to cost. And usually, you find out about the delay before you find out about the capex blowout. So, yeah, that's certainly a, a red flag that you look out for. Um, and I suppose the other one before you even start is the you know is the maturity and experience of the development team. So. You know, if you've got a, um, a you know a relatively new board or a new group of executives that haven't built you know a, a couple of mines before, then it, it's tough. It really is challenging. But um, you know, on the other side of the coin, when you've got a executive team that have you know successfully built and commissioned a number of mines before, then you know more often than not they'll get through um, relatively unscathed. And I mean, a fantastic example of that is the guys at Capricorn. I mean, they build that Carlo Winter Gold mine, you know, through the teeth of the COVID lockdown and all the, you know, shipping impediments and and um, and transport delays that um, came up during that period, and they still managed to build that thing on time and on budget. You know, and I mean, Strandline is is another example of a of a, an operation that you know seemed to have got through that period relatively unscathed. And I think that you know that um, whilst it's the first um, Strandline was the first mine that. Uh, uh, the MD there um, built as a mining executive. He came from a um, from a uh, engineering construction background, so he's built plenty of mines before. So, you know, I think that that experience, um, you know, really is uh, something to look at when you're trying to assess what the risk of a, of a capex blowout might, might be. Yeah, it's super impressive the, what the Capricorn guys did. Even more impressive than that, I think, is um, the Emerald team who did the same thing, but in Cambodia. <laughs> But during COVID, yeah, no, hundred percent. But it's a um, looking good. And I mean, I suppose another one that springs to mind. It's good to got a tip out to the West African guys and, and Richard Hyde there. Um, you know, building that mine in Burkina Faso on time, on budget. There's absolutely fantastic performance from those guys. So Sam, have you sort of flowing on from that? I know I think it really ties in with a line in your your most recent investor newsletter that securing the right people is almost as important as securing assets. Are there companies you've invested in that had great projects? that just failed to, you know, turn into shareholder returns because of poor management decisions? I mean, while, I, while I'm thinking of that, I mean, the other, the other um, issue that is rising now is, um, is changing government regulations, particularly when you're talking about, um, you know, old energy. So, you know, gas, oil, coal, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, you can, there's been some fantastic assets over in, over in Canada, I think, which, um, you know, it just looked absolutely brilliant and cheap. You know, real top tier, top tier uh, assets. That, you know, would usually be worth billions of dollars in a in a normal market. But then you have a change in in government regulations, and uh, and those assets can be you know worth you know half to zero in in no time flat. So you know, that's put an additional risk around um, investing in that pre pre production phase, but. Sam, you may as well uh, you may as well pump your book a little. Talk your book. What uh, with the stocks that your your funds hold, we've got a hot one to start with. That we have covered a lot 
in recent times, which is probably the hottest news, is Genesis. There, it is all happening with the SLR St. Barbara Genesis uh, little fest at the moment. Uh, you've got a decent position in it. I guess take us into the, I guess, that journey, that investment journey with Genesis, which is, I assume, uh, elongating a lot longer than most people uh, would have hoped for. Yeah, I, I think so. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately, this um, bit of a bit of competition here between Genesis and, and Silver Lake over the St. Barbara um, Gualia asset um, will be resolved in uh, in a couple of months, which is not a not a big period of time um, for an investment. But you know, our, our history with Genesis goes back to um, you know before uh, Rayleigh, um, you know, blessed it with his presence and, and jumped on board. So we're, we're fortunate to have a have a position um, um, pre RF, um, and then you know coming forward, I think the that Ulysses deposit there, um, you know, genuine high grade. Um, you know, reasonably low cost operation and the synergies, I think, of that mine or that deposit, sorry, going through the uh, Gualia mill, um, I think are substantial and undeniable. I mean, um, it is a very salient point that, um, that Rayleigh makes that uh, it takes, um, you know, less time and less costs to truck or the 30 kilometres horizontally from Ulysses than it does to um, to drag uh, you know drag ore up from you know one and a half kilometres underground at um, at Gualia, and uh, and the economies of scale I think are very important there. So I mean that Gualia mill uh, has got capacity of about 1.7 million tonnes per annum off the top of my head. Um, it's nowhere near full. It's running around sort of 1.1, 1.2. Um, Million tons per annum at the moment, just out of the the Gualia underground, and and is struggling um, to to run at that level as as we've seen from you know successive uh, quarterlies from from St Barbara. So, you know the synergies there are are substantial and legitimate, and um, you know I think the onus is on Silver Lake to make a make the case for why um, their offer is is better in the context of the synergies that um, Genesis um, has on offer. Well, we'll get into the Silver Lake synergies. I want to ask the Genesis value, valuation, but um, you know, six hundred million buck company. I think it was five eighty this morning. They've got the they've got the two million ounce Ulysses resource, but you know, eight hundred odd thousand ounces of that is still inferred, and they've got eighty percent of the Dacia mill. Do you see are they a very high valuation? Do you think for what they've got? Oh, I think it's you know, it is it is arguable that there's a bit of a a bit of a Rayleigh premium in there, but um, you know you could say that there's a Mark Clark premium in Capricorn as well. Um, and is that premium justified? Well, definitely. You know, you go and have a look at the amount of cash that they've thrown off from their quarterlies. So, um, uh, you know, I think that um, you know to my earlier point around the importance of experience management, um, you know, that's worth something because usually they can make good on what they say they're going to do. Sam, just coming back to that Silver Lake. Um, you, you say the onus should be on Silver Lake to articulate their synergies. Isn't that something they could articulate during a due diligence process? Wouldn't shouldn't the onus be on the St. Barbara board to facilitate that? Um, it's a good it's a good question. I I think that the you know the the, the investors want to know. So I mean, if Sil Silver Lake are, are making the bid, they know their own assets, and they you know if successful will be the masters of of the destiny of that combined vehicle. So I think the 
the onus is on on Silver Lake to make the case. I mean, certainly um, St Barbara needs to the, act in the interests of their own shareholders, but St Barbara has got $120 million of gross debt there. They're already in breach of their governance and, ha- and have been granted a waiver by their bankers. And so, you know, the clock's ticking. Um, yeah, but Silver so Lake's got you know, ample cash and, and I'm sure can, can accommodate any interim cash flow issues given the strongly cash generative nature of their assets and strong lender support. The cash flow argument doesn't feel like a strong one to me. Well, it's, it's more like when. So there's no binding agreement there and how long is it going to take? And then, I mean, you, you also need to consider this. Um, the lenders to St. Barbara aren't, aren't shareholders. So they're not looking, you know, the fact there might be a, you know, 10 percent or you know 15 percent bump or something in um in the offer um doesn't you know that doesn't do them any good whatsoever they just want their money back so the actual time to completion is probably more important for them than anything and at the moment um Gen- the genesis deal offers more certainty there so i think it's pretty know, similar certainty now um given the the announcement that came out yesterday it's a very similar conditionality and only one month difference in timing now, since Silver Lake haven't done, haven't started DD yet because they haven't commenced, so you don't know what's going to come out of that. And two weeks of due diligence, I think, is is a bit tight. So that would be the key uncertainty for me. And the, I mean, the other thing from that Silver Lake offer, which I think, um, you know, is is open to open to question, is the the seven and a half percent of Silver Lake, which would be which is proposed to be issued to St Barbara directly. So that's. That's going to be a, a, a immediately a non-core asset for St Barbara. So, you know, what are they likely to do with that stock? Um, well, I suspect they'd probably sell it, and so that's you know that's downward pressure on the Silver Lake share price. I'm sure you which, could cross you know, it's, 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 it's an ASX 200 stock. You could cross that. I mean, it's not like it's market sold. Yeah, cross it. Cross, I mean, you still that's um, it's seven and a half percent. You know, the hangover on the stock that'll be there for some for for some time. I suspect it will be a it will be an it would be an overhang, and the hedge funds will be will be will be all over it. So you know, it's it's an overhang that doesn't exist under the Genesis proposal. Do you think that the Leonore area, like, hi, there's so many scenarios that can and likely will play out for this deal, and if hypothetically, if Silver Lake did take control of Gualia, um What's your thoughts on Gualia by itself? Like, I guess by first pass, it looks that it'd be very hard to turn around the Gualia asset individually and make money off something that has been notoriously losing money. It seems that there has to be some sort of synergy in the region for this to work. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, what you know, what is what's SLR going to do that um, that's different from you know the last. 18 months to two years, you know, track record for that asset. You know, it's it's very deep. Um, there needs more more feed through the mill. Um, it's high it's high cost. So you know, what are, what are they going to do? And as as yet, um, I don't think uh, I don't think investors you know know exactly what Silver Lake intend to do differently. Is there anything on like with Tower Hill? Is there anything with? I know Rally's plan was to that Tower Hill will be trucked to Dacian for a, you know a high tonnage, low grade feed. But um, to your knowledge, is there any issues of mixing the Tower Hill dirt with the Gualia dirt uh, to up that to get up to that one point four million ton? Um, not as 
far as I'm aware, but I must admit I'm not I'm not across the metallurgical sort of detail of Tower Hill and how it goes through the plant. I'm reasonably reasonably sure it's it's a free milling ore, but um, yeah, I I um, I would have thought it's more a more of an issue of finding the um, the spare milling capacity than a metallurgical issue. So Sam, you hold a few other stocks other than Genesis. So I think we'll dig into a few others. Orobanda I saw is one of your your top holdings. What's the thesis there? I've liked that that land package for for a long time. Um, actually, <laughs> to throw back to your earlier earlier question, there's a you know an example of a, of a good asset which I think has been um, tripped up by uh, you know suboptimal management. I think um, you know Mike Frodius and his tenure um, at, at what used to be called Eastern Goldfield, so that was Orobanda's or last last name. Um, you know, it was uh, one for the record book, so I'll probably probably leave it there. But um, uh, you know, there's there's about a thousand square k's of tenure there with gold occurrences littered all the way along it. Now, you know, that's not the same as saying there's you know nice, well-defined, um, economically viable gold deposits all along it. There's still plenty of drilling that needs to be done. Um, but I think the company now is, um, you know, with their new under the leadership of their new MD, um, Luke Cray. Who I reckon um, already is a bit of an all-star, but he's going to grow in stature in the um, in the mining industry as a um, as a real real leader and uh, and uh, ex- you know an example of excellence in operations. Um, I think he's he's turning that company round. I think he's, um, it's going to take it always takes longer than people think to you know reduce the operating costs, make them more efficient. Needs to get a little bit more high grade three, uh, feed through the mill just to stabilise the cash flow of that business. But I think the uh, the opening up of the Riverina underground is a, is a step in the right direction there. And then once he's stabilised operations, um, you know he'll have hopefully have the luxury of um, being able to turn a little bit more time to the uh, the exploration um, uh, potential of that of that uh, of that land package that he's got. And um, I don't think you're paying much for that at the moment. Um, but certainly, the you know you step through the the gold anomalies and how many there are and the, and the grade there are, I'd be absolutely dumbfounded if they don't um, you know fall fall uh, into a, another million ounces or so over the next eighteen months. With the, with Orobanda, from an investment point of view, like uh, rewind back to when Luke come on board, I think they were about five cents. They've risen to you know fourteen and a half now, so they've done nearly triple bagger since he's come on board. But how do you look at something like Orobanda with all that, I guess, historical issues, people have gone broke before, like, you know, it's one of those sort of Waluna type mines where you just think, how are they going to make it work this time? How do you approach that from an investment standpoint? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the, I think it's important to look past the what and dig into the why so I mean, Waluna, you know, is a, is a refractory ore body. The processing there is um, is uh, is expensive and complicated. So I mean, that's that's probably a big part of the issues for that asset. Um, Oroband, uh, or you, you and you know, thinking back to when you know, even go back in, back to when Caresis used to own this thing. I think the problem for the operations there were was that it was always a bit subscale. Um, so it's only got a one and a half million ton per annum plant on it. Which in this day and age, it is difficult to get the um, the economies of scale from production to to get those unit costs down and uh, and make a decent margin out of it. And I think that oh, that's certainly where um, you know one or one of the areas where um, Fodius went wrong is I think he went into he tried going into production too early 
he didn't have enough um, mine life um, behind him and probably the mining schedule that he had was um, you know, somewhat optimistic versus what could be achieved. Um, and, uh, you know, Luke Cray probably has inherited a, a lot of those problems. So the mills kept on spinning through this process. But they're, you know, bit by bit, um, the company is slowly sticking more and more mine life um, out ahead of them. And that just gives a little bit more room to breathe, um, to optimise operations, um, give yourself some time to get into some of those higher grade ore bodies, get that higher grade through the, uh, through the mill. And then you know put that money back into um, to exploration to continue to extend mine lives and then be able to take the best part of those mine lives and get them through the mill uh, through the mill first. Sam, I've got a bit of a contrarian style question for you. Are there any? Stock- these are the good ones. I like these ones, JD. Have you got a, a stock or multiple stocks that you think are just really mispriced at the moment? Uh, good question. Um, I think um, yeah, one uh, one stock uh, you know that would probably fall into that basket. I think is um, is Cooper Energy. Uh, you know, I've and I yeah, I stick this stuff all over LinkedIn. But um, the gas price in Victoria yesterday, I haven't looked at it today, was about eighteen dollars a, a gigajoule. Um, that is an absolutely roaring price for gas. Um, so you know the. Uh, I think the the value of the resources that Cooper have got um, are being undervalued, I suppose, due to um, you know some constant disappointments with their with their production. Um, but anyway, I think those will be resolved. But I suppose that's in the energy space. Pivoting back to the mining space, um, I think a, a stock that probably you know warrants a good look would be Aeris AIS. So they're um you know they had a bit of a they had did have a rough quarter um, in March um, you know were um, cash flow negative and got sold off as a result. But if you dig through the detail um, of their quarterly, a big part of that negative move in cash flow was due to a inability to get ore through the Ernest Henry mill, and so um, they had the cash going out the door uh, to to mine that ore, but that's largely sitting in a stockpile outside the mine. So that's sort of like a working capital build. And I think in the quarterly, they put a figure of it of about 25 to $27 million worth of um, copper metal that's just sitting in stockpile there waiting to be processed. And so that will go through um, that will go through Ernest Henry over the next couple of quarters. So there's a big working capital unwind there that'll end up on the balance sheet, um, which investors like to see. And then on top of that, um, you know, after the uh, or was part of the you know the acquisition of the round oak. Um, the round, round oak assets a little while ago, um, a big part of the investment argument there was the the coming uptick in grades and production at Triton, which is their their biggest you know their biggest asset. Um, we're starting to get into that now. So coming into um, into the uh, you know middle of June towards the end of the June quarter, we should should see or we will see. A, um, a reasonable tick up in in grade from Triton, and that tick up will continue over the next eighteen months or so as they access some of those higher grade or what is. So you know that's the bottom up view, top down. You know the copper prices has softened a little bit, as I was saying earlier on. So you know you need to um, uh, you know assess those things as, as as they're moving around a bit. But certainly, uh, if we if the copper price puts in a bottom, there uh, puts in a bottom and, and starts heading back to four dollars again, um, there are some strong 
bottom-up drivers in place at Eris, which um, I think are you know not being adequately reflected by their you know three hundred and twenty mil market cap at the moment. Sam, uh, we, we've we've uh, we're curious about your take on some of the flavour of the day commodities. Um, and one that one that one that's on our radar at the moment is now niobium um, with the with the discovery from WA one. What's your sort of uh, a, a take on um, these flavor of the day commodities and and um, and and how do you think about them? Um, well, I mean, these, some of these smaller in, industrial metals they, they all have their own li- like individual characteristics, and it's it is more difficult to get um, you know detailed information on the on the supply and demand and and quite often pricing and things like that. Niobium uh, has its own characteristics. Like the dominant producer there, I think is a is a family owned company out of Brazil. Um, they manage the market um, very effectively and, and have done for the last you know ten or fifteen years or more. So the niobium price, when you look at it, is is dead flat. Um, the you or the demand for niobium, as far as I'm aware, is is coming out of your know, high strength, low alloy steel. So. You know, you add this into into steel such that it becomes high strength. Therefore, you don't have to use as much of it. Therefore, it saves weight, which is fantastic for fuel efficiency and and building bridges and, and other stuff like that, where you you know you don't want to use as much concrete or or other materials. So I think the um you know the demand is there for for is you know or the demand is, I think is certainly substantial, um and probably the demand would increase quite materially if the price of niobium came down just a touch so i mean that's you know that's my i suppose my um uh you know pie in the sky type view of the of the commodity as for the discovery by wa1 i mean some of the grades they um they reported um you know look fantastic and if you you know if you run those great you know multiply the the niobium price by the grades there then you i think you're ending up at sort of you know two thousand dollars or more of um, metal per ton of ore, which you know that was just an intercept. It's not a it's not an ore body yet, um, but certainly it is it is interesting and um, you know very early days there uh, in terms of drilling. So we'll see what um, we'll see what uh, gets turned up thereafter. But uh, you know, in a nutshell, that's um, that's my understanding of it all. Now, if you're a shareholder in Genesis, I assume. Uh, Oh, Billy's been through the door as well. What are you thinking about developers? A, a near-term ASX base metals play. They got a lot happening. We had Bill on the show the other week. He was uh, rather enthusiastic, which was uh, great to great to listen to for the viewers. Um, you know, Woodlawn coming on uh, the hybrid thing with mining services. There's a lot happening there. A lot of promise. He, he says he's getting a three to five billion dollar market cap undiluted. So we, we're keen to hear about everyone's thoughts on the journey towards that. I've never known Bill not to be optimistic. He can run into that <laughs> oh, mate, on, he, uh, does it, he does it so well. You've got to add to tra- – even Trav loved it. Trav hates promotional stuff and he even wooed Trav. So that's a okay. testament to him. Yeah, you don't want to die, don't, don't want to die wondering. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I think the, the team that he's pulled together there at Develop, um, you know, sound – Sound fantastic in terms of the the what they're achieving in development rates at um, at Bellevue and uh, and elsewhere around the place. I mean that Woodlawn asset, I think um, you know some of the exploration hits they've had look quite solid. Um, but I mean as I said earlier on, I think one of the aside from the asset, the um, one of the most important things you can have here is is the team, and and that's what Bill has got. So. Um, you know, it's it's difficult to put a you know a hard numerical value on that, but it is it is very very important. And um, 
you know, he's had a, he's had that Woodlawn asset now for, you know, I think it was well over 12 months. So he's had plenty of time to stew over it and, and work out a way forward there. And um, I think as he's starting to firm up uh, some of the targets, uh, you know, you could be reasonably assured that he's going to hit them. But then getting to, I guess, my question was that I posed after, like getting to three to five billion, I can't see it being done just with Woodlawn. Maybe and we could have salt. hyperinflation. Yeah, well, yeah, this is true. <laughs> Woodlawn and Sulphur Springs. Um, I guess other other acquisitions must be on his radar to grow his um, to grow his asset base. And um, I guess I can't see him relying purely on organic growth within those assets he currently has. No, I think that's a fair point, and I'm sure he does have his allies on other assets. Um, yeah, but there's a whole raft of sort of copper, um, you know, developers uh, over over in New South Wales that you know need a need a sort of a, a path to to production, and I'm I'm sure Bill's got you know got his eye on all of them. Um, it's going to be interesting how he how he engineers it though, because he said you know ad nauseum that he's not issuing any more stock. You know, does that mean that he's still willing to, to dilute a bit um, for M and I think for the right deal, um, that would be sensible, if it, particularly if it's accretive. Um, so that's probably uh, that's probably his path forward there. But you know, trying to second guess, you know, what exact assets um, any given person is going to go after is always pretty tough. But I think you're dead right. He's um, he's uh, he's got his eyes on uh, on bigger and better things. I'm sure he might get a massive uh, loan facility off Mr. Ellison, considering he's a 13.7% shareholder. So there's uh, potential synergies there in the future with Minres. Uh, I don't know. I keep reading into that one. I keep predicting it. I hope something happens. It'll validate my uh, <laughs> podcast comments. Uh, right, the boys yeah. are getting angry at me. I'll hand back over to them. They're giving me death stairs talking too much. Sam, we, we've <laughs> chucked together a few um, a quick fire round of questions. So just one word or one sentence answers and we'll, we'll just tuck straight into it. How long do you like to hold positions for? Oh, it's, it's my, it depends on the on the value. Like you might hold a position for you know twelve or eighteen months if the if the investment proposition is is good and the share price is not going anywhere. Whereas you know you could enter into a position um, and have uh, the share price rally you know three months afterwards and and hit your uh, hit what you think is fair value and, and be out. It all depends on um, on how quickly a, um, the market rewrites. We're, we're banning the, the word de- depends from the future questions, Sam. <laughs> uh, what's your most contrarian <laughs> view on the market right now? Looking at the portfolio, I mean, uh, I, I think it's the um, the, the outlook for, for gas as a commodity overall. Um, you know, it's, it's much maligned. I don't think any of the, any of the major sort of exposures or particularly the, the mid-cap exposures to gas are all priced as though um, you know that commodity is never going to go up again but I think you know and you're hearing more this more and more in in sort of popular comment is that any sensible decarbonisation scenario is going to rely on gas for a um, you know for for decades to come and whether that's in the Perth basin in Western Australia or, or over in um, you know some of the other basins over east or elsewhere around the world I think that's a uh, a commodity which is, um, you know, prices is come well off, and uh, and but I think there's plenty of upside still to come there. Sam, what is the best undeveloped mining project out there? Oh, at the moment, I'd probably say um, De Grey's um, discovery up there in the Pilbara. I mean, that's an absolute cracking discovery, um, and uh, and yeah, there hasn't been one like it for uh, for many many years. I think so. They'd have to um, take the uh, that tick the, that sorry tick that box. I think. Right, balancing capex, sovereign risk, labour costs all together. What's the best jurisdiction to build a mine? 
oh, it's probably actually going to be in Australia, and then it's you know, even with the capex and the labour. I oh, and and the sovereign risk, like that other one that you mentioned. Like, I mean, I think the some of the developers over in over in West Africa, and you, you mentioned Morgan's company up there in Cambodia. I mean, have has developed assets, um, yeah, with much less uh, capex blowout than than some of the others, but then. You know, but you're going to have sovereign risk is always going to be a a, um, a subjective issue to get to get your head around. And then after the fact, um, you know, what multiple do you get if everything works out right? So you know, West African resources, you know, their their project up in Burkina Faso, there. I mean, they built and commissioned that project probably better than anyone would have dared hope for. Um, but it, I think it trades on maybe two and a half or three times EBITDA, you know. So it is, it is dirt cheap and has been for for a while. But you know, so you, you need if everything goes right, you want um you know you want the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow to be worth the effort. So um you know with that additional um, caveat, uh, as long as you've got an experienced exploration team, uh, sorry, an experienced development team, I still reckon Australia is probably um you know probably one of the better spots. Who owns Gualia in ten years' time? Or even three months time. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I put I put the money on on Genesis getting their hands on it. I think there's um, you know, we it's still early days there, and and maybe Silver Lake have got some more to add to the to the conversation. But um, if I was a betting man, I suspect Rayleigh will probably get it. Will Chalice's Gonville get permitting? <laughs> Good question. I reckon that's going to be tough. Um, it's probably not, you know. They advertise the fact that it's, it's, you know, it's only an hour away from Perth, and and so the location's quite, you know, is good for for access. But, you know, the other side of that coin is that it's only an hour away from Perth, and you know, it's in Hoppy Farm territory. There, I, I reckon that one's going to be a tough one. Right, one that's not on the script, which makes JD bloody nervous every time. Right, what's been your three best stocks ever? The ones that you've made the most dosh on. Have you got any historical uh, ten baggers that you're willing to share with us? Yeah, yeah. I reckon um, what I have to mention green technology metals. Um, Luke Cox there and Cameron Henry have uh, um, you know took that from IPO to a to a dollar. Um, came back a little bit with the lithium price, but that was an absolute cracker. Um, Capricorn, um, we did very well out of Genesis. I mentioned we we're, were managed to be in there pre rally so we've done. Done very well out of that one. Um, yeah, they would probably be the ones that spring to the top of the top of the mind first. Last one, Sam. Uh, measured from today, looking forward to the next twelve months, what will be the best performing commodity by commodity price movement? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I reckon. I reckon gold might. Um, it have to be worth a good look. I think that, uh, you know, as you said, we're getting close to the end of, of rate hikes around the world. Um, my base case for the, you know, global macro economy is still that we end up going through a period of, of stagflation, you know, be, meaning, um, you know, relatively high inflation and, and relatively low growth. Um, under that scenario, you can end up with um, either, you know, negative real rates or at least falling real rates. And under that scenario, uh, gold... Um, you know, could do quite well. So uh, I'll, um, you know, it's always a bit of a crystal ball gaze, but, um, you know, that's one I think it's, um, yeah, exercising the mind a bit at the moment. Well, beautiful, mate. Thanks uh, very much for that expert insight, mate. We really appreciate you coming on. Will you, will you come back on if we pass the test for you or not? 
Oh yeah, yeah. No, I come and have a, I have, I come back and have another chat at some point. And I just be careful about waving that term expert around. I mean, <laughs> under pressure. So, uh, you know, everyone's uh, everyone's a punter in this game. It's um, you can't get too far ahead of yourself, otherwise you end up tripping up. So, um, you know, just trying to do my best. We're getting a lot of social engagement with these so-called punters too now, mate. So, um, no, uh, none of the experts though. Yeah, not there. We'd rather <laughs> we'd rather talk to the experts, um, mate. Beautiful. Best of uh, best of luck with your. Uh, educated punting you'd say and uh, we really appreciate appreciate you coming on Money Your Mind Cobber no, thanks Sam thanks Sam appreciate it guys thanks Jonas Matt yeah. Travis pleasure to be on situation or needs of any particular person before making any investment decision you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives financial situation and needs